when we understand that it's just accepted because it's common, when someone gets called out on their sin, caught in their sin, or tries to validate their sin on Facebook, what should be the response? It should be repentance. But what is the typical response? What can I say? I'm just a sinner like you. Or maybe even quote the Bible verse. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what do you expect of me? Get off my back, right? But ironically, what is happening as they know of sin is their knowledge of sin is giving way for an excuse to continue in sin. An excuse to not repent. Everyone's failing, so it's okay. But we scratch our head. If you're, if you're a student of the Scriptures, you understand knowledge is good. I just read a passage that said knowledge is good. How can one have knowledge of their sin and still continue in it? How can they not be affected by that knowledge in a positive way? Meaning, repent of that sin. Just because you know a thing is true doesn't mean you truly know a thing. Just because you know a thing is true doesn't mean you truly know a thing. For thousands of years, everyone knew that if an apple falled from a tree, it would go straight down and hit the ground. Everyone knew it, but no one knew why until 1665 when Isaac Newton, from a different perspective, figured it out. Everyone knew that an apple would fall straight straight down to the ground, but no one knew the reason behind it. So how? Because the wicked, they know from a humanistic perspective, a humanistic understanding, a parallel standard, they see sin through the lens of mankind. They know all man's sin, but their perspective is from a created being. It's on the surface. They're ignorant of something, and that's sin from God's perspective. Which ultimately, that perspective, like Sylvia's perspective as a parent looking back, ultimately from the perspective of the Creator, the God of the universe, can you ultimately have a true knowledge of sin? Which gets us to drawing us closer to the conclusion of our first point. Now listen carefully. Who are the wicked? That's what we're asking. The wicked are those who live in opposition to God because the wicked do not rightly know God. The wicked live in opposition to God because the wicked do not rightly know God. Now, Jeremiah 9 helps us greatly here. Now, if you've been with us on Sunday evenings... As we've been going through the Psalms, you're going to hear a little bit of uh, uh, familiar verses and familiar tones. But if you look at Jeremiah, chapter 9, he helps us to understand rightly about knowing God. And not just knowing God, but what we ought to know about God. When we, especially when we think about the relationship between the wicked and their lack of knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, now, if you can quote it, I won't have to read it. Was that on Sunday night I said that? That I, I quote this verse so much that I'm hoping that one day I say, let's look at Jeremiah 9, verse 23, and you just tell me. And then we'll never have to look at it again. We'll just quote it to one another all day long. 
Jeremiah, Jeremiah 9, 23. Thus says the Lord. You better listen up, right? Thus says the Lord. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. God says there's one thing to boast in. And that's knowing him. But he gives us more. What does he want us to know? That I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Who practices steadfast love. Justice. And righteousness in the earth. That's the key one we need to know today in discussion about the wicked and sin. To know the Lord is to know that He practices righteousness in the earth. But not only that He does them, but the end of the verse says, For in these things, what things? Steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Boast in knowing Him, Yahweh, the Creator of all things. Know that He practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. And not only does He practice them, but He delights in them. So just so you understand, I'm introducing you to the Lord this morning. As we read these scriptures, you are being introduced to who He is and what He delights in. But not only what He delights in, But in contrast, as we speak about the wicked, what he hates. Again, if you've been with us in in the evenings as we've been going through Psalms, we've looked at Psalm 5. And Psalm 5 tells us not what the Lord delights in, but the very thing that he does not delight in. Psalm 5, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. But no pastor, no preacher, you don't understand that that's not that's not me. I'm not bloodthirsty. I'm not deceitful. I'm trying my best. I want to do good. I want to give the Lord my best. Surely the Lord delights in my efforts. Surely God delights in my efforts to be a good person. And I say you present your best tries, your good deeds before this holy, righteous God, this just God, in order to justify yourself. Notice I'm not talking about true Christians who are doing good works, but I'm talking about the wicked who try to please God with their good works. You present these before God and He will throw them in the trash. Because Isaiah 64 says, What are your righteous deeds like? Filthy rags. Now I'm going to get a little unpleasant here you have to understand that what he means in isaiah 64 when he says we have all become like one who is unclean that would be the opposite of god right and all our righteous deeds are like a, are like filthy rags or a polluted garment 
understand the language here. Filthy or polluted in the Hebrew is in reference to feminine menstruation. Like filthy, polluted garments. That's how God sees our righteous deeds as people, fallen mankind. Now imagine imagine if heaven was a dinner party. And there's actually a parable that goes really close with this, but this isn't the point. The par- that parable is not necessarily the point of the illustration I want to make. Imagine if heaven uh, is, is like a dinner party. And to help us to understand the difference between wicked and righteous, I want to show you the irony that comes out of this understanding of polluted garments or filthy rags. Imagine heaven is like a grand dinner party. It means the only people who can come in are those who are allowed in. You can't just come into this dinner party, but you must come in on the basis of what you're wearing. And it has to be pristine. And so in your in your self works and good deeds and trying to keep the law and being a good person, you scrub and wash and rinse and dry and scrub and wash and rinse and dry your garments. And all the more you try, you're just polluting them even more and more and more. The dirtier they become, and therefore your acceptance into this dinner is unacceptable. But the righteousness... Scrub not, work not, but in the humility of receiving a new garment, a white robe, pure white and pristine, prepared and given to you by the host of the, of the party, is the only way to enter. I, that was confusing, so let me say it this way. The fallen sinner, mankind, in your attempts at righteousness produces garments that are soiled and unclean. But yet, we know in Revelation that there are men and women who are standing in the presence of God wearing white robes washed in what? The blood of the Lamb. Do you see the irony? That we press our good deeds as Fallen men and women, none is righteous, no, not one. And we push them before God and say, accept us. And he says, they're bloody, nasty, unclean garments. But yet the ones who come in have been washed by what? The righteous blood of Christ. Do you see the comparison? God says, I hate the evildoer, the wicked. And I delight in righteousness. So how does one go from wicked to righteous but only by the blood of the Lamb, the crucified Christ? That is the only way. And so we finish this first point, who is the wicked, by understanding that the wicked do not understand God's disposition towards sin And for that matter, they don't understand God and they don't understand sin. And because of that, they have no desire to please Him. No desire to repent. No desire to turn from their sin. To ultimately obey God. To conform to His law and His standard. They do not believe God. They do not trust God. And so that leaves the wicked in opposition to God not believing His Word and not obeying His commandments. 
Number two. So now we know who the wicked are. If you notice, in these two questions, one word is mentioned in both questions, both answers. And that's the word torment. It's not a word we use very much or we use correctly. It says that the souls of the wicked shall at their death be cast into the torments of hell. And at the judgment in question 39 says that both body and soul will be sentenced to unspeakable torments with the devil and his angels forever. So you have to understand this as you t- we take a step back. Uh, we think about what we've discussed in the catechism up until now, and that was benefits for believers in Christ at death and resurrection. But these two questions and answers are not talking about benefits because there's no benefits outside of Christ, but we're actually looking at losses to those who enter death apart from Christ. And what they earn, for the wages of sin is death, what they earn is eternal torment. Now, I want to back up for just a second and we have to understand something. And that's that the death of a person is not the final, the finality of that person's existence. The death of a person is not the finality of a person's existence. We we have to understand that when a man or a woman dies... As we've said in uh, past uh, question and answers, that our souls go on to an intermediate state, what we would call heaven or hell. But that's not the final place for our souls. We await the day of the return of Christ and the resurrection of the living and the dead, of the righteous and the wicked. Here's what, um, here's what the second London Baptist Confession of Faith says regarding the death and the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked. This is to help us understand this. And then I'll have two passages, one in the old and one in the new. Listen carefully. The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption. But their souls, which never die nor sleep, have an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous being made perfect in holiness are received into paradise where they are with Christ. Remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. His body evidently went into the ground, but his soul was in paradise with Christ. And not only will you be in paradise where they are with Christ, but behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies. And the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they, are, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day, Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture knoweth not, meaning there is no purgatory. 
And then it says, at the last day, such of the saints are found alive shall not sleep. So when Christ returns, those who are still alive will not die, but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies, and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. So the resurrection of the righteous and the wicked, and both will be reunited with their souls forever. The bodies of the unjust shall by the power of Christ be raised in dishonor. The bodies of the just by his spirit unto honor and be made conformable to his own glorious body. So torment, torment. If you go and do a study of this in the scriptures, you see that Jesus speaks of this more than anybody but let me give you a few. I want to read. The, I'm going to go through these passages, write them down, and reference them later. I'm going to speed speed read these. Matthew 8:29. Jesus says, "We we looked at this a few weeks ago." Jesus uh, in encountering uh, legion, the demon, the demons, uh, the demons cry out and say, "What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time?" And then in Luke. 16, verse 19 through 31, we know of the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and I, 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 I challenge you to go read that. But what we see is that the rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades being tormented. And he says, in anguish in the flame. And there he is in anguish to tell them to go and talk to his family, so they will not come and be tormented in this anguish. Revelation verse 14, or excuse me, chapter 14. As it speaks of the wrath of God coming upon the face of the earth. Says he also, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. That would be the wicked. He also will drink the the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. Now, I'm just gonna I'm gonna say something here. I wasn't thinking about this. I'm gonna read this again. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Do you know what Jesus drank upon the cross of Christ? The full wrath of God for you. Lord, take this cup from me. He was facing down the Father's wrath. And for those who do not find them in Christ at the day of their death or at the judgment day will experience the full wrath of God. And then Revelation 20 The last time we see the word torment, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur for the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What do we see in these passages? We see the end result of opposition to God. You live in opposition to God. This is your destination. 
when the wicked march to the beat of their own drum, when they seek to burst the bonds of the the Lord and His anointed, when they walk the wide path and forsake God's way, they walk towards total and final destruction, to darkness and to hell. Jesus gives us plenty more detail about this torment as He speaks in the Gospels. He calls it a place of eternal torment, a place of unquenchable fire where the worm never dies. He calls it, men will weep and gnash their teeth, a place where there is no hope of return, a place of outer darkness. I was just thinking through this and thinking about our lives and how we can be affected by this teaching. I don't mean to offend anybody when I say this, but I, I I want to say this because I think many of us have Christians who speak about life after death in unbiblical ways do many injustices. I don't understand R.I.P. Rest in peace. Now I I you understand that rest in peace the phrase actually has a Christian origin because of what we know the benefits of Dying in Christ. We understand that. But what I don't get, what I don't get is when we attribute, especially as Christians, RIP, rest in peace, even to self-professing atheists. They will rest in torment. They will lay in the grave while their body is decaying in eternal torment. And when they're raised from the dead, there is no peace. As we said, our words mean something. Our words tell something. Our words need to tell the truth. You're like, come on, Luke. They just say that in hope of comforting those who mourn in hopes of setting them free from their pains of death. I understand the motivation. I understand the intention. But the reality is we must follow Christ and speak truth. We must speak truth because it's only the truth that will set them free from their mourning and their pain. It's only the truth that will give them hope. To speak of eternal rest for those who are in opposition of God, whether it be in blatant unbelief or even a professing believer who you know was a drunkard and a fornicator and an idolater. We must not twist the truth in order to make someone feel better. If truth sets one free, then the opposite enslaves them. You lie and withhold the truth to someone who is in bondage. You just tighten down the shackles. I, I, we're going to go down this path for just a little bit longer. The same could be said for how we address this transgender confusion in our world today. Okay? To say the pronouns are not, right? If I don't say their preferred pronouns, I'm being mean, but I I want to say them, I want to show kindness and consideration. No, the same principle applies. If If someone is so confused that they think that they are the opposite gender of how they were born, you speaking a lie to them is only going to shackle them tighter. The truth will set them free. The truth in love. 
To call him or her, she or he is to lie to them. It's to tighten those chains, the bondages around their ankles. It's to push them a little further down the road of destruction. It's to bring them a little bit closer to eternal torment. Why? Because their denial of God's created order is living in opposition to God. And they are on a, they are on a path of eternal torment. So do not affirm them, but confirm to them their need of Christ. And that they must repent and believe. To live into opposition of God, these wicked... Second Thessalonians says they do not know God and they do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And what's the outcome of that passage? They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his might. Second Thessalonians chapter one. Then you're probably I mean you could be sitting there thinking, Are you really preaching a bummer of a sermon today, Luke? And I get it. But you must understand I'm preaching to you today the reality, the unavoidable truth. And I'll be honest with you, I fear as your pastor that there are some of you who come today who only have a surface level of understanding of sin. And yes, you know, you know you're a sinner, just like you know you have two feet. But you know that aren't we all? We all have two feet, so my fear is that you come in content with your sin. I fear that some of you sit here today and do not know God. Yeah, we say we believe in God, but you know as much about Him as you do your mailman. You know He's going to be there. You know He's there. You know the general idea of what He does, but you know nothing about Him. You do not know what He loves and what He hates. And how do we know that you don't know what He loves or hates? It's because you hate what He loves and loves what He hates. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. If you knew God and His hatred of sin, you cry out like the tax collector within the temple. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But in the midst of the fear that I have of that, here's what I know. Okay? Here's what I know and why I have hope. Wicked is darkness. God is light. And in Him is no darkness at all. And here's what I'm sure of. That the light overcomes the darkness. It obliterates the evil. And where there is light, there is no darkness. And so guess what I have to give to you today? The gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of God for salvation to all who believe. The good news that has come to you. The good news that is proclaimed to you. That Jesus came into this world not to save the righteous, but the wicked. He came to save the wicked. We don't just read these things and go, Oh goodness, I'm so glad I'm not the wicked. Heaven forbid. And we're going to talk about that next week as we look at Matthew, more into Matthew 9. He comes to call the sinner to repentance, not the righteous. There's good news in the fact, 
of what Paul declared to, to Timothy. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Though formerly I was... sexually immoral, an idolater, an adulterer, practicing homosexuality. I was formerly a thief, greedy, drunkard, reviler, or swindler. Formerly, I had no inheritance in the kingdom of God, but through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through faith in the good news of Jesus, that could be your former self, and wicked no more. And standing before God is righteous in the blood of Christ, Counted and the righteousness of Christ counted to you. He says, But I have received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He finishes the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Do you believe that this morning? Do you know it this morning? Do you know that you are a sinner condemned before God who delights in righteousness and hates the evildoer? Do you know that God has sent His Son into this world to seek and to save that which was lost? That Jesus came into the world to call wretched sinners like you and I to turn from our sin and trust in Him? Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, whoever hears my word... Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And he does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Sinner, hear and believe his word this morning that Jesus died for your sins in accordance with Scripture. That he was buried and raised from the dead in accordance with the Scripture. And that he has ascended into the heaven has given all authority in heaven and earth. And we found out last week that he has the authority to forgive your sins. But also understand that one day he will judge the living and the dead and he will separate the righteous from the wicked, the righteous on his right, and they will inherit the kingdom of God that he has prepared before them before the foundation of the world. And on the left, the wicked he will place and declare to them, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the the devils and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment and the righteous to eternal life. Sinners come to Christ. Come to Him. Your only hope in life and in death. You go from being an enemy of God to be adopted into the family of God. You go from being a wicked sinner into a glorious saint. Receive Christ by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Be transformed from sinner to saint. From an enemy to a beloved child of God in church, beloved, this is salvation. Salvation is not our get out of hell free card, but it is justification, adoption and sanctification in Christ. And we went through those in our catechism and we understood that we have been pardoned by Christ by God through Jesus Christ, that we have been counted as righteous, we've been brought into the family of God, and we are being made holy like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Salvation is the hope in which we stand. Salvation is having peace with God, being reconciled by the blood of His Son. We have been saved, Romans 5, we have been saved by Him from the wrath of God. 
We have been saved by Him from the wrath of God. And so let us rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. For God who said, this is the truth of all who believe in Christ. For you once were wicked and in the dark, but God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in what? The face of Jesus Christ. And here we come to this table. We come to this table with that in mind. We look at the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, and we rejoice knowing that it was His body that was broken, His blood that was poured out, that seals our eternal hope and our eternal peace. And I love the passage in 2 Thessalonians that we looked at this morning in Sunday school because the craziness of the world around us, the, the man of lawlessness, this and this and that, is he, when's he going to be revealed and when's this is going to happen? And he finishes 2 Thessalonians, he says, but you know without a shadow of a doubt because he has loved you, he has chosen you, he has called you, and he is making you into the glorious image of his son and you know that. That is our salvation and our hope. That is what we celebrate when we come to this table and remember that one day we will see Him face to face. We partake and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. We we proclaim His death to one another and to unbelievers as we eat and drink together until we eat and drink in remembrance no more. But the day that we stand before Him and we sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we eat with Him in His presence. There will be that day of separation. The final day that the sheep are separated from the goats, and the wheat from the chaff, and the righteous from the wicked. And this table shows that separation. This table is for those who have been counted righteous through justification by faith in Jesus Christ. This table are for the saints and the sons of God. And so when you stand up, when you stand up, and we we practice open communion, meaning it is open to those who are members and non-members, but it is only open for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, made a public declaration of their faith through baptism. But we come together, we stand together, and we say, I see you. I see you, part of the body of Christ. You arm over there, you eye, you leg, I see you. We are one in Christ. I love you, and I'm accountable for you. I am my brother's keeper. If you're a believer who's been struggling in sin, and you're hesitant to come to this table and feeling unworthy to take the bread and the cup, if you are broken over your sin, then I urge you to come to this table. This table is for you as one who has been forgiven to come and receive the grace of God and remember that you trust in Christ and remember that you have been called unto holiness and remember that in His broken body and shed blood that He will one day redeem you full soul and body. These elements we receive and be filled with the hope of the glory of God through our crucified Christ. So, 
with that we come to Christ. We come to His table and we remember His life and death and await His return. Brother Dan.